At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of CPC, here with good friend and pastor Ron Hicks of Henderson Memorial Baptist Church. Hey, brother, how you doing? Thank you, Richard. It's always great to be on the program with you. It's been a long time. We did a show a couple of weeks ago, but um, it's good to be back with you. And it's always good to get on with you. I feel like, uh, I just feel like we're having a private conversation and we're letting other people listen in. And uh, that's what we're going to do today about Thanksgiving. And some of you are listening to this program on Thanksgiving Day. So happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Absolutely. Hope you have a a, a great Thanksgiving meal with lots of family and friends. And by the way, it's okay to talk about politics. Just be civil. We've talked about having a civil conversation. Thanksgiving, by the way, Ron, is my favorite holiday. Is it really? It's absolutely my favorite holiday because it's it's about good food and it's about family but there's no pressure on Thanksgiving to get gifts or right, to perform. Right. Or, and I know that's not really the Christian response. You're supposed to say Easter or Christmas. Well, Christmas has become so commercialized that I find a very difficult time enjoying it. I'm just being—don't call me the Grinch. Maybe, I'm, maybe I am the Grinch. Uh, Easter's a joyous holiday, but Thanksgiving uh, is a time just to reflect. I spend some time reflecting on all the things in my life to be grateful for. And it's biblical, Ron, to have a grateful heart. There are many passages that speak of having a, a spirit of thanksgiving, a spirit of gratefulness. And, you know, in this country, we're, we're blessed with so much, uh, so much uh, opportunity with prosperity, religious freedom, political freedom, above and beyond what any other nation on the face of the earth has ever, ever, ever experienced. Well, it's yeah. because, because despite what, what some people who don't know history would say, our country was founded on on biblical principles. It was founded on this idea that there is a there is a God who um, cares about humanity that actually stepped into His creation um, to be able to bring salvation to His creation. And you know, our our founding documents, uh, even going back before we were a country, um, uh, states this. You know, it, it talks about the providence of God. We're endowed by our Creator and, and these various things. So. Despite what some would get would have you to believe, our our country was certainly founded on on biblical principles. If you go back to the Pilgrims in 1620, when they came here on the Mayflower, they came for religious reasons. They were being persecuted. These were people who did not agree with the Church of England, and so they left the church. And they actually lived in Holland for about eleven years. They they lived there. It didn't work out because they were in a foreign country. They didn't speak the language. They weren't connected, so they had to do the jobs at the bottom of the economic ladder that nobody else wanted to do. They were working so hard to provide for their families that they began losing their children to the culture. And they said, look, we could have all the religious freedom we want and practice it all day long, but if we lose our children, then all will be for naught. And they decided to come to, to pool their resources together and to get passage to the new world. 
where they could set up really a Christian commonwealth is what they were looking to do. Well, l- listen, these are the exact words, right? And and it's a little flowery language, and by flowery, not not obscene, but but the way it was written. Um, it, it says, in the name of our God, amen, we whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, defender of the faith, and having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern part of Virginia, do by these presents, solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. And by the virtue uh, hereof, do enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws. So they're saying that they actually came to establish a Christian nation, a Christian colony, and, and it specified the place that they were landing in the northern parts of Virginia um, and to be able to advance the Christian faith. That's pretty, pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah, that, there's no, there, there's no <laughs> you're going, you can't say, well, it wasn't founded on Christian principles. Before they got off the boat, they said, you signed this. <laughs> the reason why they did that, by the way, they were blown off course. They were planning on landing uh, near Jamestown, Virginia. They got blown off course and ended up in Massachusetts, several hundred miles to the north. And they had to come up with a political document because they were outside the actual region that they were chartered to start that colony. And they came up with the, uh, with the Mayflower Compact, the first political document. Uh, in the new world. And they, they were committed to God's word. They were committed to being under his authority. They wanted to create a Christian commonwealth. I need to say this, as, as, as daring and courageous as the pilgrims were, um, they were pioneers in a lot of ways. Um, they were fallible human beings. Oh, they had plenty of problems. They oh, had their well, issues. Yes, very much so. Um, but yeah. they were committed to God's word, and they wanted to do life and create community God's way. And they put themselves under his authority. Well, think about how easy would it have been to to just leave out the part that they they were blown off course that they were because it said in the document that they were going to establish a Christian colony, but then later on it says we have um, hereunto uh, uh, subscribed our names at Cape Cod the eleventh day of November. So they they say from the very beginning, hey, we were way off course. This is what we planned on doing, but we're way off course. But that doesn't change our objective. Our objective was to be able to found a Christian nation, and whether it's in Cape Cod or whether it's in Virginia, whether it's in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, whether it's in Frankfurt, wherever it is, um, those of us who have been blood-bought, born-again believers need to be ready to establish a Christian culture, and, and we're supposed to impact culture. That's why you and I have these conversations. That's part of the the uh, the uh, history, the lineage, the, the 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 influence that the pilgrims have on us as they trailblazed a path in a new world, and they created Christian culture. Yeah, and a, and a body politic, the whole idea of an organized political system with the understanding that God is sovereign, God is, is the one who gives us the freedoms, and we should incorporate him in all of our laws and all of our ways, all of our thinkings, because outside of a relationship with God, we're helplessly and hopelessly lost. Now, those are my words. It's none of the Mayflower oh, Compact. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I was, yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, so, so Ron, one of the, uh, I'm just thinking of the, the wheels are turning. I'm thinking of some of the objections that some of the listeners might have. This, this program is played all across Kentucky and in some of the surrounding states. 
uh, and of course on podcast. By the way, if uh, you're not subscribed to iTunes or Spotify, where else are we? Stitcher. We're at several places where you can subscribe to the Commonwealth Matters program. Uh, please subscribe if you're just listening on our website or tell your friends about us. We uh, hope to increase our listenership. But, Ron, uh, there may be some listeners that uh, are saying, well, look at these two jokers behind the microphone. They're just trying to impose their religion uh, on everybody. They're trying to impose their values. You know, I love it when people say that. What I, what I often respond, and, and sometimes I'll say to people, what I'm going to say is probably going to offend you. I, I don't mean to, but just knowing what you're saying, I mean, if you say, well, you didn't try, you didn't try to impose your morality on me, and I say, are, are you trying to impose your morality on me? I mean, we're just trying to decide whose morality is going to rule the day, right? If you say, no, I don't like your moral position, what you're saying is I like my moral position more, better. So I think because I disagree with you that my morality should be the law of the land instead of yours. So every law is somebody's morality. It's somebody's sense of right and wrong. Every, every law is. And so that's why it kind of frustrates me when Christians will say, well, I just don't think we ought to be involved in politics. You know, I, first of all, men and women who have, have died to defend our right uh, to be able to worship, to be able to, to vote, to have a, the freedom of speech and all the rest of that. And when our country says every two years, four years, six years, when we're electing these officials, when our country says, Ron, what do you think? I think to myself every time men and women have died so that I can tell my government what I think. I think by not voting, you dishonor every single man and woman who's died for the defense of our nation, for the ideals of our nation. One, I, and I tell them that. Don't tell me, don't brag to me that you've never voted, because what I say is going to offend you. And two, you know, the, the, the scriptures tell it, render unto Caesar what's Caesar. So we should participate in the government as, as the government asks us to, but render unto God what's God. We can be good Christians and good citizens simultaneously. So we need to vote? Yes. For Christians, they need to vote their values. And for those others, the other thing I'm hearing you say is that for those that say don't impose your values, you're saying that everybody has a set of values. It's just a matter of whose values will they be. So I'm going to move on to another one. We're talking the pilgrims. They believe that God had was the authority over the body politic. They came to set up a Christian commonwealth. What do you say to somebody who says, oh, separation of church and state? You're blending the church, the role of the church, and it's okay for churches to believe in God and for pastors to preach about God, but don't bring it into the civil realm, into the realm of the state. How do you respond? Well, to that? and that's and that's a great question. And uh, and what I'll say to them is, if you want to go back and study what, what that where that phrase actually came from, one, it's not in the Constitution, but it was it was written in a political document, and it carries a whole lot of weight that phrase. But basically, what had happened is they came from a society where the government had told the church, this is what you're going to do. So, so the government decided this is going to be the official church uh, of, the, of the state, and so we're going to say what the cardinals are going to do, and, all the, you know, and, and so we're going to put people, so they turned the church into a political institution. So when it says that the government will not establish a religion, it also says nor prohibit the free exercise thereof. And you're referencing the First Amendment. Yeah, the, the First Amendment, yeah. yeah. And so, so there was a, a person who actually wrote to the president and said, why don't you declare this day of fasting? And, and the response was basically, as a government, we don't believe that we ought to impose on the church what the church ought to do to say to every church in the nation, you ought to impose this day of fasting. That's really for the church to decide. There's this wall of separation that the government does not tell the church what to do. 
And somehow through the years, that's been distorted to be able to say, well, the church has no influence in government. Absolutely. That's a, that's something that somebody made up and they ran with it. And unfortunately, people in the church believe today. The church has always been the conscience of culture from the time that Christ instituted it, when there was injustice or evil. I think of um, in, in Roman society, they practiced exposure. Young girls were not valued, and baby girls were left on the street corner exposed to the elements. But it was the young church that would take these babies in. They would adopt them and bring them into their own home and care for them. But why? Because God cares about infants. He cares about his image bearers in all stages of life, whether it's the very young or the very elderly. And the church has had throughout history a special heart for the vulnerable and the marginalized and those that the state has deemed not worthy or not worthy of protection. Uh, so, so, Ron, this church and state idea, uh, you mentioned, you, you were just saying that the state in Europe and England was telling the church what to do, and yet you had people in power in the church that agreed with it. Absolutely. They went right, along right, with that. Right. And they, so our government was saying those, those things should not, the government should not impose a religion. The government should not pick a religion to say this is the religion of the nation and all the rest of that. And the government should not pass any law that's going to impose on somebody's individual right to worship in the manner which they feel like they need to worship. So now, just to be clear, in the colonies, they did not practice that religious freedom. They had the colonies adopted different religious denominations as their state religion. They were Congregationalists, I want to say, in Massachusetts, in Maryland. They were Anglican. Well, and uh, you said that the Puritans didn't get it right. And so I, I think to take that conversation a little further, that's why that phrase was written to be able to say, hey, we started out doing this wrong. We came to establish a Christian nation, but we, we, we made some huge mistakes. And I think learning from your mistakes and being able to say, let's don't recreate these mistakes is why the country is the way it is now to be able to say, not, not rewriting history, but to be able to look back and see, hey, hey, this, this was wrong. We, we did that wrong, and so let's make sure that we don't do that again. Ron, we're at a, we're at a break right now. Let's take a break. Uh, if you're tuning in, you're listening to The Commonwealth Matters, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Policy Center. It's clear that the news media isn't always fair. In fact, there's lots of far-left bias and political gamesmanship. No surprise there. So if you're looking for a perspective that's grounded in the truth of Scripture and our nation's founding principles— then get plugged into CPC's resources. Sign up for our e-newsletter at CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Commonwealth Policy Center. And we're on Twitter at CPC for Kentucky. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with Ron Hicks, and we are talking about Thanksgiving and the proper relationship between church and state, uh, what the, what the uh, pilgrims had set up under the Mayflower Compact. And it was really a gift that they gave us. They came here separated from the Church of England so they could come here and practice religious freedom, right? Because they didn't agree with what the Church of England was doing, but they came to set up a Christian commonwealth. And I would uh, submit to you and all the listeners that the healthiest society is that society which embraces God's unchanging truths. And so what am I talking about? Well, Here's one, that we are all made in the image of God, regardless of male or female, regardless of your ethnicity or race, uh, that we're all of equal value and equal worth. That's an unchanging truth. 
And to take that a step further and talking about how re, how religion shapes our politics, um, uh, Ravi Zachariah, who you may have, again, listeners, you may have heard, uh, hey, isn't that that guy that, that did some questionable things? Yeah, he, he was he was human and, and he made some mistakes and all that's still being sorted out. Uh, but but he he was kind of talking about the idea when somebody asked him, you know, why does the church think it's OK to be able to dictate uh, whether marriage uh, should be between a man and a woman. And Robbie Zacharias says this, we've been created in God's image. So ethnicity is sacred because God has created us all in his image. So, so to be able to mistreat somebody because of the color of their skin, you're actually calling what God has declared sacred, unsacred. To be able to say, if you're not the same color as I am, then somehow you're lesser value. But God has said he's created everybody in his image. So he's created us ethnically sacred, whatever your ethnicity is. The same God who declared your ethnicity sacred declared that marriage was sacred. So my question and his question is, how can you on one hand say that your ethnicity is sacred uh, because God has declared it, but you can't say that marriage is sacred because the same God is the, the one who declared both of those to be sacred, meaning unto him. So marriage is between a man and a woman. God instituted it. Life is made in God's image, so it should be protected. The conscience, the conscience is important. That should not be coerced by the state. These are some fundamental um, values that any healthy society will embrace. They will protect and respect conscience. They will elevate man-woman marriage to be a foundational relationship in society. They will protect innocent life, unborn life, the elderly life towards the sunset years. There are certain fundamentals that really... Uh, they have to come from some source. They have to come. This isn't something that you and I agree on. It's not something, because if it's just based on our human ideas. Uh, then we be king. <laughs> we, we, we be king, but they can change just as easily. And we've seen societies that have become a law unto themselves, not tethered into a higher law. What I'm getting to is that there is a, there is a creator who is put into uh in, into this reality, his truths, his uh, principles. And we as a people, free people, we can reject them or we can embrace them. And in our country, for the most part, there has been uh, an understanding there's a God who's God over the state. The state is not the ultimate authority. And there's God over the church. And there is a healthy relationship between church and state. I'd commented recently, uh, Ron, that... Uh, if, if the church wasn't in culture, if there wasn't uh, preachers preaching, teaching God's truth, if there weren't congregations who fill the pews, listening and sitting under the authority of God's word, and then living them out as best they can, trying to integrate his principles, it would make the job of government much more difficult. You would have no moral uh, restraint on the people. The government should be for healthy churches. The government should be for people... Uh, espousing his, God's principles and seeking to live lives that honor him. When we do that, when we have that vertical relationship with God right, we have a chance to live in peace and harmony with our neighbor, neighbors. That's a horizontal relationship. So the vertical comes first, man's relationship to God. And then secondly, that horizontal relationship, man's relationship to man has a chance. And I'll give you an example of how that's played out in everyday life. And I'm going to brag on Henderson Memorial Baptist Church. Um, several years ago, because of budget cuts in the school system, uh, the school that's right next door to ours, an elementary school, could not have a full-time librarian. 
Now, everybody knows that that the that reading ability, and the more you read, the younger you read, is tied into how successful you're going to be in school. And so this whole idea that we can't have a librarian full-time, well, because we realize the value of education for a young person, regardless of the color of their skin, and because we are involved in our neighborhoods, God hasn't called me to a building. He's called me to a community. Our church says, well, if you, if you don't have enough funding and staff to run the library, then we'll do it. And so we went over, we were trained on how to use the equipment and all the rest of that. We helped the kids check out books. Now, we didn't have, preach a sermon. We didn't do any. We just simply helped them to be able to, to, to do. And guess what? The school system saw that when they had a need, guess who showed up? The people of God. Not, to, not to, for an agenda, not for any other reason than to be able to say, hey, you're our neighbors, you're our friends. These kids are our kids. You're, you're, they're our grandkids. And, and they have a need, and so we're going to meet that need in a real way. You were literally loving your neighbor as yourself. This church body, which is literally next door to Indian Hills Elementary, was loving the teachers and loving the students there enough to sacrifice and to volunteer their time. A number of members volunteered to go over there to help run that, uh, that library. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember good. that there were two 7 o'clocks. In a day. <laughs> so we had to show up at seven o'clock. I come dragging in with two cups of Starbucks, Starbucks and, uh, you know, elementary school kids that were looking for, you know, uh, uh, a certain book at seven o'clock in the morning is a real trying sort of I'm going to go thing, a little but, further. Uh-huh. If I could interrupt, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, but there's another story, though, too, where the church here, big parking lot. Can I say this on public? Is that okay? Am I going to get you in trouble? Okay. <laughs> A few years ago, you had a real need. Your, the parking lot was being uh, overly used, if, for lack of a better way of putting it. it was being, wear and tear was great because parents would use the church parking lot to pick up their kids. But then it got worn. Then it needed repair. And you talked to the, to the school and said, hey, our parking lot is being worn out. What can you do to help? Well, the school ended up helping to pay for a good part of the paving fee to get a new parking lot. And so there's that mutual relationship. The point is this, that there was the church has helped the school, the school has helped the church. It's building up community. Well, and, and, and to make sure that nobody misunderstands here, um, if, if we as a church, and we had every right to be able to say, look, the, the, the degradation of the parking lot is so severe that we can only use the parking lot now for church functions because— uh, when there's a graduation that the school comes over and uses our sanctuary, if there's a Christmas program they use, if there's a function at the school and they need overflow parking, it's absolutely come here. The bike rodeos have been in the back. And, and, and uh, so basically what we're saying to the school is we know how much it would cost for y'all to be able to build on your property what we already have here. Instead of you guys spending a quarter of a million dollars, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars we can remedy this just simply by splitting the cost of it. So again, trying to be good neighbors, we would have to say the only remedy is, I mean, you guys can't afford to do what you need to do. And so we're going to continue to allow you to use it, but at some point it's going to be unusable for both of us. And then it's going to cost you all a tremendous amount of money. And we don't want that to happen to y'all. I'm going to break on y'all a little bit more. You have uh, reached out and mentored young troubled kids there. And I'm not trying to blow your ego up or anything, but you have actually spent time investing in the lives of young boys who really need a male, positive male role model in their lives. 
you're investing in young people, you're investing in your neighborhood. And I would say that Henderson Memorial has been a light to this neighborhood here. And in I'll, I'll correct a phrase that just just because we're friends, and, and I know you won't be offended by that. It's, it's not the trouble boys. It's the leaders who have not yet been taught how to lead. I, yeah, that's true. And there are some tr- difficult children who give strong, type A type A young men who who just need direction on how to how to be a man. Yeah, type A. Yeah. But you've taken your time and energy and efforts to go over there and to spend time with them, pour into their lives, and you're seeing some good results for that. I because God you, has called us to a community, that. not not to a building, but God has called us to a community. Uh, when Paul was looking over, he didn't see Macedonia Baptist Church. He saw Macedonia. <laughs> the region, you know, I need to go over to that region and be able to minister. So, Ron, let's talk about that for a minute. When the church gets it right, and look, let's be very frank. We are flawed, frail. We make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We're not going to do it perfectly, but hopefully we don't stay there. Hopefully we keep our eyes on Jesus. We grow in the faith. We encourage one another in the faith. But when we begin to live out biblical principles in community, that community changes, doesn't it? And I want to go back to this idea of thanksgiving. As Christians, we should be the most thankful, grateful people on the face of the earth. Why? Because God has forgiven us of our sins. He has given us a new identity. He has given us a new path, a new uh, purpose in life. And that's good news, isn't it? Not, not, only, not only should we be thankful, but if we do it right, the community ought to be thankful to see us coming. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this was written to a church that um, maybe didn't have a lot to be thankful for. They were poor. Uh, The government that was in charge wasn't necessarily favorable to them. The Jewish religious establishment certainly wasn't favorable to the church. And uh, yet these were grateful, thankful people because they knew what Jesus had done for them. Uh, we, read, uh, we, we, we also read in other passages this idea of thankfulness. I'm looking at Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Two, yeah, verses 6 through 7 in Colossians chapter 2. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. When we have that foundation in Christ, when we're walking with him, it gives us a spirit of thankfulness, yeah. a spirit of gratefulness. And we carry that spirit with us. You know, the, the scriptures tell us we should enter the gates, you know, talk, talking about coming into the church, enter the gates with thanksgiving. So we ought to come in to the church ready to worship, to be able to say, man, I know where I, who I was. I know where I was heading. I know what I've done. Yet God in his infinite wisdom stepped down there through eternity, put on flesh and blood, died on the cross for my sins. I'm coming into his house with thanksgiving. And anywhere I go, I go with thanksgiving because I'm a sick, twisted freak, you hear me? But Jesus so loved me that he gave his life that I might be able to have abundant life. That's a story that needs to be told. Look, I'm not perfect. I'm forgiven. You know, if I was perfect, I wouldn't need forgiveness. But I, I'm forgiven I'm, I've been cleansed from all unrighteousness because of what Jesus has done. I, I got to tell that. that. That is the message that the world desperately needs to hear today. As much as I enjoy the political realm, the, the longer I'm involved with this, Ron, the more convinced I am that 
the world needs the gospel. 